Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host Ads Lyson. As always, housekeeping. Podcast merch is still live. So to get your Grumpy Surfer podcast tees and hoodies, go to the links on Instagram and Facebook and just click on the buttons or you can go directly to the website, which is grumpysurfer.com and go and get yourself a cracking bit of podcast merch for Christmas. Also, to get 10% off your Ombi 12-week surf program, go to ombi.co forward slash ref forward slash grumpy surfer and get yourself your 12-week program. I'm on week six and I'm trucking along and it's still amazing and I'm still doing things that I never thought I'd be able to do. Improved my surfing 100%. And also, another one, 15% off your Northcore outdoor and surfing gear. Go to Northcore's website and at the checkout use the code tgs pod one word 15 capital letters to get 15 percent off your purchase and lastly brawl surf merchandise from scotland use the code at the checkout grumpy surfer capital letters to get 20 percent off your purchase all good stuff for christmas so get it in there this week's podcast is the last one of this year and we'll be back on the 3rd of January 2022, which means this last podcast of the year is a cracking one. My guest this week is a mentalist, a magician, a keynote speaker and an on surf presenter. Please enjoy one of my most intriguing and interesting conversations I've had about surfing and mindsets with Anthony Lay. Anthony Nalei, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Really good, mate. I've got three questions that I always start with in my podcast. The first one is, how are you? Second one is, where are you? And the third question is, have you surfed today? So the answer to those questions is doing very well. The answer to the second question is, I am here in my, I suppose, home, home studio, as we should say nowadays, here on the Gold Coast in Australia. And I haven't surfed today yet, but I do know that after we finish this, I'm going to be jumping in the car and heading out to the beach because I think there's a, a few a few fun small waves around at the moment. We've been lacking swell at the moment. Practicing your rombi technique, yeah? Indeed, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason why we got into chatting was I did a podcast with uh, Clayton, um, who is the owner of Ombi, is that correct? Yes, yes, he is. And you are basically sort of like the linchpin. You're the link man between everything. So he's the technical aspect and you're the guy that kind of feeds into that. Uh, And then before we started doing that podcast, we sort of had like a a really brief conversation. And you mentioned that you're actually originally from down the road from where I live in Exmouth. And that was just a little bit mind blowing, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. (laughs) So... I, I like how you term Clayton as as the tech guy. He's 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 the Yoda of of surfing is the way that I say it. When you say tech guy, the reason why you and I, you and I ended up having that really quick conversation is because technically, if, you, if you're talking about technology, Clayton is is absolutely useless. And so I was setting up the Zoom ready for him to jump on the to jump on the call with you, and and that's how we just ended up in that real really real brief quick conversation. I and obviously I knew a little bit about what you were doing. And one of the questions that I was, as soon as I didn't know anybody's been in the services, it's always that question of 
oh, okay, so did, did you go to CTC? Because obviously most people who, if you're in the Marines and you would have gone through CTC, because I grew up in Exmouth and Exmouth it naturally had this culture of knowing that, that the CTC was just down the road. So there was always this sort of military vibe to the town. So yeah, you kind of pick up on that straight away as soon as you see it. All, all of my friends all went through the military. Uh, I did attempt to go through the military, but didn't get in as what I wanted to get in as. So I, I didn't go in. So yeah, I mean, it is it is baffling. And do you know what? I uh, when I when I joined the military, I really how can I how can I explain this without sounding daft? I was not really into the military vibe. I I've been surfing since I was fourteen years old. And I've been into water sports and I, I joined the military really because my dad was in the military and then um, I joined the Marines because some of my friends' um, dads were in the SBS and they spanned some stories when they came home from Christmas and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's an age-old story. Everyone's got something like that anyway. But when I, moved, when I went down to Limpston in Devon, the last place I ever thought I'd end up is there. And I was like, I wanted to be as far away from that place as possible. But now I live there. I've been living there now for what? I've lived there for 14 years now. Oh, wow. It's, and it's the best place on the planet. The village is amazing. Um, Exmoor's a pretty cool place. It's it's calmed down a little bit now, like the university's moved, which was probably yeah. there when you were there. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was quite a party little seaside town, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, I think it's calmed down a bit now. Yeah, it, it definitely has. I... I've seen a big, so I've been in Australia now for coming up for 13 years and I've oh, been wow. back a couple of times. And the change that I've seen once, once the university closed, then, then everyone who's in the Marines stopped coming into town and it just suddenly became this really sleepy place. The, the nightclubs disappeared. So it was a, there was something really nice about having the Marines there, although the locals, the locals didn't think so. <laughs> But it was it was such a good vibe with all the Marines there, and I mean we can get into the story of of, of my my involvement, sort of hanging hanging out and being part of, I suppose the Marines party scene. We can get into that in a little bit if you want to. But uh, there's, there's so many avenues that we could potentially go down in this podcast. <laughs> we could we could end up in, in in all sorts of weird and wonderful places. We could end up being like a four or five hour like a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> Buckle in, people. I did a little bit of research on you, and like I said, you're not, you're not just involved with the OMBI surf uh, programs. You're a mentalist, which we'll come on to in a bit, uh, a behavior expert, a public speaker, a magician, an entertainer, and something that I thought was uh, quite funny, use the play of words of you're a virtualizer as well. All those things, you know, are, are, are pretty prolific. Um, but what I want to do is, which I do with a lot of these, is let's take it right back. So you say you're okay. from Exmouth. Can you just explain yep. a little bit about your background, please? So background, I mean, how, how far back do you want to go here? Like, Well, you grew up in Exmouth. Let's start there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, grew up in Exmouth, lived there. So as a kid, lived there my entire life. The... My group of friends, it's interesting because my group of friends, when I was younger, these were guys that lived just across the road, just next door. And as we got older, they all they all went into the Marines. And I wanted to go into the services. My I wanted to go into the services as an engineer in the RAF. 
and I took the the aptitude tests to get in. And despite the fact I got really good scores on the engine, so I did the engineering test, which I passed with flying with with flying colours. The one that I didn't do so well on was the general entrance test of, and it was the maths one. I just I was good at maths, but just wasn't very fast at it, so I didn't get enough questions answered. So I got offered I got offered the role of of dog handler in the RAF. <laughs> I was just like, nah, that's not really my thing. So I I moved away from that and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I think most good things kind of happen when you're younger, when you're drunk, to be honest. And I've been out for a night out with my mates. And this was a different group of friends. So this this time, all of my other friends were in the Marines. So they were off off doing exercise or or off on deployment. And I was sat in my friend's friend's kitchen, drunk, and he was he was having it renovated at the time. And uh, I said, "Oh, this this looks really amazing. I'd I'd love to be able to do something like this." And he said, "Well, it's my cousin that's doing it. He's a builder, and he's he's looking for somebody." And so the next day, with a hangover, I went and met his met his cousin. And then later on that afternoon, I had a I had a new job of being an apprentice builder. So they went into the carpentry world and joinery world, and started my own. I'm going quite fast here, but then started my own business. So that was going really well. And after probably about four years, a few cracks started to appear in the business. I was dealing a lot with with the trade at that time. So I was always the last person on the list to get paid. The, the building trade is notorious for, for, for bad payments. And things started to go downhill for me at that point. And really weirdly, it also coincided with the whole Iraq conflict happening. And my friends were off in Iraq being deployed. And it was 2003. So it was a year, it was, it was a year that, that they raided Saddam's, um, Saddam's palace. Yeah, I was there. Oh, were you there, were you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. So when that, so, so that was all going on. And I was in a pretty dark place at this point in time because the business was starting to go bad. At, at the same time, one of my friends who was in the Marines, he had um, he'd been walking through the town one night. So this was this was like a couple of years before, and just minding his own business, and some drunk person just decided to to just hit him, and it knocked him over. He hit his head on the on the on the curb, and I think for about a month he had this, this sort of like it looked like he'd had a stroke. It was like paralysis down one side of his face. Anyway, the reason why I tell you that is because he, that then had an ongoing effect for him and he had been deployed out to Iraq. And just before they did the, the raid of the palace, he, had, he got told that he couldn't stay there anymore and got discharged and sent back home. And so he was watching on the news, all of his, all of his team going in and doing this one thing which he had spent all these years training to do. So you had him feeling really down and depressed about what was going on, couldn't couldn't do what he had trained to do. You had me with this business that was starting to fail. And so in that moment of, of darkness, we found a lot of lightness coming together. 
and 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 hanging out with each other and obviously a lot of drinking was involved in that in that process and over the i suppose over the next the next few months which then led into sort of a, a couple of years i suppose sort of obviously iraq kind of then led into afghanistan and throughout this whole process things were, were still just going downhill for me and Whenever the rest of the team, who are all my friends, would then come back from being away, being deployed, there's obviously a decompression that you guys have to go through. And I don't think that civilians really understand this as to what, what really happens when you come back. And I, it's weird because I would, I would hang out with, with all of the guys and they started um, classing me as an honorary bootneck. And I didn't hear everything that that you guys went through or what you guys go through in that situation, but I got a really good idea of 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 the fact that there's there's a lot of there's a lot. I'm gonna, can, I, can I swear on this? Yeah, of can. Okay, so there's a lot of shit that goes down, which the general public, the average Joe, the civilian, has no idea they, they have no way of comprehending it and you have a very unique way of dealing with some of the some of the stuff that you see i feel really fortunate that i was able to be within a group that were going through that process at exactly the same time that i was trying to deal with my shit and obviously my shit in comparison was nothing i was just losing a business it was i hadn't seen the stuff that they'd seen but being around guys and watching them cope with this as a unit really helped me probably about a month ago and they'd always they'd always gone really well and there was 600 people online watching and the internet just completely shat itself i had to i had to turn every single computer off in my office and restart the whole thing with 500 people just waiting online for me to come back on. It's just like, Oh no, this is the worst. Yeah. So what did you want to, did you want to just completely restart or? So uh, you were talking about uh, the group of people that you were, and you were finding it quite unique to be in a position where when they were coming back from deployments like Iraq and your business was going, you know, yeah. not, okay, cool. not going too well. Yeah. So, so with with that group of of amazing guys, it was so. Let me just tell a little bit about how the night out would would, would kind of go. So, as as, as you've already mentioned, I've I've got a bit of a background in magic, and at this point in time in my life, I was only using magic as a bit of a thing for down the pub. So we'd we'd go out with this group of I'll be out with a group of bootnecks, big muscly men, like like all all very handsome and and and, <laughs> and, and ready for action. This was when the university was still was still around in Exmouth, and I was this guy that could do magic. So we'd go into the nightclub, and I I would go into a, a group of girls. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm revealing some of the secrets here, but I used to go into the group of girls, do a bit of magic trick to sort of open up the group, and then all these marines would then suddenly swoop in and then start to sweep all the all of these girls off of their feet. So I was like the the opener guy. The funny thing is is 
they would take all these girls and I would just be left there with like a pack of cards or something in my hand, left with absolutely nothing. But it was, it, it, as, a, as I say, it was such a unique experience and a really, it came at exactly the right time in my life to help me get through the situation that I was going through. So they went off and did their own things. All, they've all gone on to do some really crazy, amazing, uh, fun uh, and interesting things. I moved out to Australia. I decided that I'd had enough of the business. Things had gone really bad. I, I, I ended up going bankrupt. I just couldn't, there was no way I could get myself out of the hole that I had managed to, to find myself in. So I moved out to Australia. I just went, you know what? I'm just going to hit the reset button. I'm just going to completely start afresh. Moved out to Australia. When I arrived here, so I've, I've always kind of worked for myself. When I arrived in Australia, all of a sudden I found myself in this position where I was working for somebody else. And I was doing a bit of carpentry. I was living in Sydney originally. And the guy that I was working for was this crazy Greek guy. Imagine the, the Tasmanian devil. He, his personality was like that. He'd walk into a room and just, just crazy, crazy. And it was just way too much for me. And I'd, I'd done a few gigs back in the UK doing the magic and thought to myself, well, I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could get some gigs doing magic in, in Australia. So at that time, I'd only done close-ups, so just going up to small groups of people. And I wanted to be more along the lines of doing a stage show. I'd never done any stage up until that point. So just arriving in Australia, I wasn't really tied down to anything. I didn't like the job that I was doing. So me and my and my wife, we said, well, well let's, let's tour Australia. Let's put on a show. Let's do it for charity. That way there, you get to get some stage time. We get to do something good for charity and we get to see a bit of Australia. So we did 40 shows in 40 nights in 40 different venues around Australia. That gave me the stage time that I needed to start to develop the show. And from that, I then went on and got a gig on Sydney, Sydney Harbour on the cruises. Wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. I was, uh, I was the MC of a male strip show, first of all. <laughs> Which, which was a very interesting job when you're stuck on a really small boat going up and down Sydney Harbour for three hours and you've got a bunch of crazy, crazy drunk ladies on board and there's, you can't escape them because you're, you're all stuck on this, on this little boat. So, so that was like the entry, I suppose, into my, into my performing career. That then led into me working on some of the big cruise ships as a guest entertainer. So I'd get flown onto the ship, do my show, and then I'd get off at the next port and then fly back to Australia. My my goal, though, was to always go beyond that, break into the corporate arena. And so in order to in order to to really make it big in the corporate arena in, in Australia, you need to have some kind of profile. So I then went on, did a few of the, the talent shows to raise my profile so I could get that TV footage of, of me doing stuff on TV, which then opened up those doors for the corporate arena. <laughs> And that kind of then morphed into more than just a show. It then became a keynote. So I was talking about communication skills, but using my entertainment in order to do that. And then that's led into various other different bits and pieces. Like I now get asked to MC. I now help other people with their public, pe public speaking skills. That's the worst place to trip up on your words, isn't it? When you're talking about teaching people public speaking skills and you trip up on your own words. And 
in that process, and so this is where it, we, we now tie it all back together again with, with Ombi and Clayton. So in that process, I, I had, when I worked on the cruise ships, I'd kind of given up surfing because I was so busy going from ship to ship and, and we, we, we just had our first child. So I was really time poor. And we moved up to the Gold Coast. When we moved up to the Gold Coast, I was like, Do you know what? I feel like getting back into surfing again. And so I, one day I just went out for a bit of a surf and I was like, why? Why did I ever stop surfing? This is the whole reason why I chose Australia to move out to. I've moved out here and I got so busy being caught up in just, just doing life that I wasn't really doing life. I was just going on autopilot. And so my eyes suddenly got reopened back up again to this surfing world, the surfing journey. And I decided that I'd take it seriously. So a friend of mine had some surf coaching. He said, go and see this guy, which happened to be Clayton. So I went and saw Clayton and had a couple of coaching sessions with him. He then went out on, to, he then went out, out, out on a boat trip. And while he was away, I was just like, right, when he comes back, I'm going I'm to get some more coaching. This was a whole time when the whole pandemic started to, started to kick in. And he couldn't, obviously couldn't travel to do any more boat trips. My, my corporate speaking career in the space of about seven days went from me having probably one of the busiest years of my life to just going vroom and just dropping straight off and having absolutely nothing. And I was like, well, that's, that's fine. I'm going to invest all my time in surfing. And so I spoke to Clayton and said, look, can I have a bit more coaching? And through that, we'd, we'd, we'd be chatting after, after, we'd been out, after we'd been out surfing. And he was talking about, he was setting up this, this online program. And he asked my advice on a couple of bits and pieces on a bit of, bit of content and that kind of thing, because he knew what I did. So I went around and lent a bit of a hand. And it got to the point where I was trying, I ended up trying to help, so basically coaching Clayton on how to speak better on camera. And so I'd go around to the office and we said, right, so we need to say it like this and like this. You jump on the camera, do it like this, and you'll be absolutely fine. And every single time, it was just, it just wasn't getting it in front of the camera. And they kept on saying, well, you're really good. Why don't you just do it? I said, because I'm not part of Ombi. I'm just here to, to help, help you be, be better on camera. And one thing kind of led to another. And then I, I, they managed to trick me somehow. So the mentalist actually got mentalized by, by the Ombi team. And I ended up doing a piece of content for them. And then that then led into another piece of content. And so organically, it kind of came about that I was the Ombi presenter. I would present some of their content. That then led into sort of realizing that when you get me and Clayton down together, I'm able to sort of draw out some of the gold within him. And because you've got this dynamic of this, this, this guy that like his level of knowledge about surfing is, is it blows my mind every single day. My mind is blown with, with what he knows. But I think that sometimes that can feel a lot out of reach for a lot of the people that, that were listening. And so I think the reason why the dynamic works really well is because I am just your average, your average surfer. It's taken me ages to, to get anything. And so we've, we, we've got this, this way of connecting with the average surfer through me and my journey, but we have access to, to Clayton and his, and his amazing knowledge. And it's just worked really well. And obviously we, we, we've set up the, 
the surf hacks community and that's just absolutely blown up it's it's gone absolutely crazy and it's it's a really interesting place to be because I've, I've always ever since i had the business and i and i ended up in that really dark place i've always been very conscious and going do you know what? i'm not going to do anything unless i actually really enjoy it i have to i have to really embrace and enjoy my life and okay sometimes i get caught up in the moment and, and forget about what's important but i've always managed to find fun in everything that i do so magic was originally a hobby then i've ended up making a career out of it surfing was something that i was doing for fun and now that's become another another part of of, of what i do to just live out each and every single day and it's it, it's, it's naturally come about and it's it's coming back through not trying and just being really open to to trying opportunities and 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 just doing like waking up with the intention of of just having fun i think that's something that people can obviously relate to but i think in the rut race that you know society lives in at the moment it's really difficult to get out of that mindset of i've got to have a 9 to 5 job and stability I've got to have a pay packet that's coming in. And if I don't do that, I've got bills. And if I don't pay my bills, I'm going to be in debt and I've got a mortgage and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I can actually relate to that now a little bit because come May next year, that's my last military pay packet for 22 years. And yes, I'm, I've opened my own holistic therapy business that I'm going to start. And oh, wow. I've got a few, I've got, a few, yeah, I've just, I opened my clinic doors October. So my whole idea really was to start a holistic therapy business last year. I was supposed to be qualified in September. So I was going to have like 18 months to start building a client base. And I've never, look, I've never been to business school. I've never done economics or anything like that. I know absolutely sweet fuck all about anything except for <laughs> shooting gums and blowing shit up and thrashing people. That's pretty much it. So I'm winging the, winging the crap out of this, like super bad. So my whole idea in my head is if I do this and I've got to have a set sequence of things of the way that I've got to do it, but it's really difficult for me because I've always had this security for the last 22 years of if, if I go homeless, I could just move back on camp. Um, I'm always going to get a pay packet regardless of whether I'm in prison. If I get done for something, I don't know. I'm always going to have something there and, and, and that, those peaks and troughs now have started to, to hit home a little bit. And, you know, there's times at night where I'm thinking, oh, is, it, is this really going to work? I don't know. Am I crazy? What, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I, should, should I be booking more courses? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? I'm like, I don't know. It's mental. But going back to, you know, relating to what you're talking about, I think if you find things that you enjoy doing, and you know be, being self-employed don't get me wrong i'm i'm you know i'm not professional at that because i've only been doing it for two months basically so but i can <laughs> i can see i can see that if you enjoy doing something and you try and make it work and you're happy doing that then that's got to be the right thing and you make time for yourself and your family and go surfing doing jiu-jitsu you know going out whatever it is you know that 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 gives you that that mental stopgap to let you take a breath and reassess everything every now and again, instead of just going bang, 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 you must do this, must do that. Um, yeah. it, it must be quite an enjoyable thing for you now, having a COVID success story with Omb, it must be pretty special. Yeah, and look, I'm gonna take this back to my back to my friends. 
that at that time where they'd all just come back from Iraq, I was going through, through what I was going through with the business. They had this saying, and whether this is a, uh, like a bootneck saying, or whether this is just something which they had in their own little, their own little click, they always said, there's no cuff too tough. There is no cuff too tough. <laughs> and that is something which I've always thought about in this journey that I've now gone through. And the other thing that I learned as well is, and it's going to sound a bit cliche because it's a whole sort of, you're the average of the five people that you spend your time with, but you're, the, the people that you have around you is really important. And that group of people will, will change as you go through different parts of your journey of life. Now, I'm still really close with a lot of my friends back in the UK. I don't speak to them very often, but I know that if you were to put us in a room, it would be like we had never been apart for a day. The part of the journey that I'm on now is I'm surrounded by some really cool people within, within the Ombi network. And that's helped me get through this, this stage of where we've got this pandemic, where one minute I think that my entire world has suddenly disappeared. And I, and I do remember when the pandemic hit, I did suddenly feel this like, whoa, we've because I just bought a house, just bought a house in the November. So in November 2019, bought this is our first ever property here, here in Australia. Up until that point, we just moved around to figure out whereabouts we actually wanted to be. So we bought a house, we came back to the UK to see to see my nan because she's getting she's getting pretty old we're like well, look we, we we need to go back and see her at some point glad we did it when we did because obviously there's not much traveling happening right now so we spent a ton of money as well on coming back to the uk because i knew that the that the following year it was going to be amazing we had all these all these gigs planned and we flew back and i think i did two gigs and then the whole realization of what was this pandemic hit and i just watched my entire calendar just suddenly drop off and it was stressful, really stressful, because it's just like, we just bought this house. We've put all of our money into the deposit and everything like that. We need to earn some money. And I got really stressed out for a while trying to figure out how I was going to do it. And this is a weird thing. The moment I stopped stressing and just accepted the situation and just allowed it to come, whatever was going to happen, I just, I just accepted it. And I suppose this is a bit like martial arts. If you, I've, I've always been fascinated by, by Aikido, which is where... Obviously, as you know, it's, it's that martial art where you transfer the energy and you turn it into something else and you use it back on them. And the moment I allowed that energy to come in of what was going on around me, this opportunity, it allowed me the space to see the opportunity that was in front of me with, with, with Clayton and the fact that, do you know what? I'm helping them out. This could be an area where about, maybe if I focus my attention here, it would stop me stressing out. I'll be doing something good. It might not come to anything. It might do, and obviously, it has come to something. And and now I'm I'm part of this 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 uh, the omniverse, as I like to call it. I'm now part of this omniverse where we're growing we're we're growing this surfing community around the world, and 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 helping all these people that are into surfing. That there's this there's this this, this middle group of surfers. You, you've got your beginner surfers that that can go and get surf coaching. Pros, obviously, they have their coaches. But there's this, there's this middle ground, which is huge, of all of these guys that want to be, or guys and girls, I shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't say the girls there, but guys and girls that want to be good at surfing, but don't really know whereabouts to go and, and how to go about it. And we've kind of 
hit that niche and it's and it's exploded and it's 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 such a cool community to be part of and to see all the different posts in facebook about people that are just getting getting a huge amounts of stoke off of like catching more waves and and these things things like the oreo technique which clayton talks about and holding out the coffee cup so it's it's really cool to be to be, to be part of that and and know that we're making a difference in 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 that respect and i think as ombi grows i've always been i've always been very passionate about helping people push through things uh, i'm also a really big one on confidence for me to get to the place where i got to performing on stage I, there was a lot of barriers I went through with confidence. And so I think that as time goes on, this Ombiverse is going to grow and it's, it's, and it's, it's going to be more than just, just surfing. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a community where we help people the way that, the way that I like to say it, and I don't know if Ombi are actually going to take this up is, is fine flow, not just in the water, but also in life. And I, and I, and I see that that's, that's the way that it's heading. And, and, and again, this came from me just organically letting it kind of come to me and, and not stressing. I think it's, it's all too easy, as you said before, to get really caught up in life and, and the stresses and stuff that's going on. And then you end up in that whole rat racy kind of thing. One of the things that I talk about in my keynote, and this, this came about in my really dark time, I had no idea how I was acting and behaving around other people. I was so caught up in the moment, so caught up in all the stuff that was going on. The way that I like to describe it is like on Instagram where you take a photograph and you can put different filters on. I had the, I had the filter of negativity pulled clearly over my eyes. And everything that I saw was doom and gloom. Everything was out to get me. Everything, everything was trying to pull me down. And one night, a, a, a friend of mine outside of, that that military group of friends i was i was chatting to her and she just gave me a really cold harsh truth and she said anthony do you know do you know what you're 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 a really nice guy but you've been so negative nobody wants to be around you and it was like a light bulb was just like like, like just let off inside my mind and i was and i was completely unconscious to how i was acting and behaving and from that day i've always been really now very conscious about how i'm turning up i like to describe it as you know, and you, you, you'd know this because it's probably annoyed you quite a few times when you're, when, you're, uh, when you're out on exercise. But when you run through fields and you get those little seeds stuck all over your trousers, little burrs, I see it as life's a bit like that. What happens is you, you, you're running through the day and you're picking up these seeds and they get attached to you. And it's not until you actually look down and you just go, do you know what? I'm covered in these seeds. They're all stuck to me. And you've got to physically brush them off. Otherwise, they end up just, just getting in the way and they start rubbing against each other. and and life's like that. Each day we end up going through, we're picking up different stresses. And unless we take just a few moments of each day to check in and just go, oh, I'm holding on to all this stuff. I've, I had that stressful conversation with, with a friend earlier on. Um, I had a client who has been a real pain in the backside. And you start to hold on to all these things until you actually check in and just go, okay, I need to let that go so that I can move on. And I think that a lot of people are really stuck in that place where they're not checking in with themselves. And just asking themselves, how should I be turning up? Who do, who do I need to be at this exact moment in time? Is I, I like to use the analogy that people have their own bubbles. Now, their bubbles, their width at the bottom, or how big and wide this is, depends on their own personal 
attributes, their own personal makeups, their their own personal qualities. But everything inside that bubble is how they perceive life. So if all they see in the mornings, they get up, they watch the news. They've got that content coming in, whether it's positive or negative from the news, 99% of the time it's negative. And then they get changed, they go to work. Maybe they're in a job they like. Again, I don't want to use percentages because I'm I'm stereotyping here, but I'd say 80% of people probably don't enjoy the job that they're in. They just go because it's making money so they can live for the weekend. Maybe, I, I don't know. And then they come home and they have the family. So whether it's their immediate family, whether it's their wife, their kids, their mum and dad, their great-grandparents, uh, great their, their immediate friends. So this is all their bubble, right? But they don't see outside of that. So anything that tries to get in from outside and they don't open it up, then it becomes negative and everything in that becomes negative. Now, if you burst that that bubble and you're open to everything and you can see lots of different people's points of view, lots of different theories, you're not stuck in one mindset, you're open to lots of different uh, open engagements coming into, into your mind, then I think that you're you're not going to be stuck in that unhappiness it's almost like a cloud you know like if you when you get in your car in the morning and it warms up a little bit and everything steams up and you've got that cloud inside and you can't see out of it that's pretty much the way i see people's bubbles sometimes get rid of that everything's clear and i think being in the military my bubble's doesn't exist or it's very very long and wide and I don't see outside of that and I like to try and see other people's point of view before I make a decision or uh, I make a perception on somebody or something and I mean I don't know uh, have you noticed that yeah look so one thing that I've I've really embraced and I've I think I've embraced this throughout my entire life is curiosity and it's the reason why I got into magic and mentalism because I, I, I had to know how it was done. I'm one of those people that if I see something that's that impossible, I'm like, oh, I've, got, I've, I've, I've got to work this out. So th- th- that's why I, I, I like to say it to people is just become curious. Don't instantly discount something just because it doesn't fit exactly what you think. Become curious, become skeptical almost. So I like to say that I'm curiously skeptical. There's a lot of things that I don't believe, but I'm curious enough to go, do you know what? Let's have a Let's have a look at this. Let's let's just see if there is something to this. And, and oftentimes I'll just go, oh, do you know what? I'll, yeah, this is this isn't gonna. I I can't see how this is gonna benefit me or it's how it's gonna interest me. So then I'll move away from it. But what it does is it opens me up to it initially, to become interested and to become and to just sort of check these things out a little bit. I mean, the, the, so curiosity killed the cat. But I think that 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 single phrase has stopped a lot of people, maybe being a little bit more open-minded to things, whereas curiosity actually led the cat to something that was absolutely amazing. I'd like to talk a bit about how you got into the, the old mentalist side of things because it's quite it's quite interesting to me. I mean, we spoke about this a little bit before, you know, my wife's yep. doing CBT and the NLP kind of re-mind mapping people's thought processes. And I know you, you talked a little bit and you brushed over it really, really quickly about going on to TV shows and, um, <laughs> you know, mate, I've watched all the YouTube videos today, have you? You know, I do my research. You know, you, you've been on the Aussie version of this oh, morning. You've been on Australia's Got Talent and all those sort of things. You're a bit of a... you um, having to sit through that. 
No, but I find it interesting. In fact, you know, one of my friends, well, I'm going to use that term very loosely. I, I know him. He's, he's a bootneck, ex-bootneck, and he's, he's gone outside and um, he's a magician. He's on Britain's Got Talent, actually. And nice. uh, uh, doing card tricks and yeah, stuff like you've done, basically. Yeah. Um, but I'm really interested in how you got into all of that and how everything evolved from probably doing little card tricks in a pub in Sam's in Exmouth to, you know, being <laughs> oh, on... Oh, you're bringing out the Sam's. Oh, do you know what it is now? <laughs> it's a kid's soft playground. No. Yeah. You go in there, you can still... I'm digressing shitloads here. When you go into it, you can still see all of the Victorian sort of plaster all around the outside of it, you know, like the old school, but used wow. to be upstairs. So it's, so it's now a kid's soft playground. So it's so it's still a place with a very sticky floor. And it's still called Sam's? <laughs> no. What, really? Is it, it's still so called Sam's. Sam's. Yeah, wow. yeah. Anyway, okay. digressing a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the... Ma okay. So initially, I got into magic. Now, the magic came because I was curious about... I saw David Blaine on TV and became really curious about how he was doing what he was doing. And so that led me on... That, that pathway. I think as somebody who, when I was younger, wasn't naturally very conversational for me to go up to a group of people and uh, and talk, I'd be find really awkward for me to stand. There is, if you had asked me when I was about 18, if I would ever stand up in front of a room full of people and deliver a speech or give a presentation, the, the answer of no would have shot out, my fast, uh, out of my mouth as fast as possible. It was something that never even appealed to me and magic, I think magic showed me a way to be able to be interesting and I could cheat my way to being interesting. I never had to have, never had to have a conversation because it could instantly be like, oh yeah, I know some magic. Here you are, pick a card. And so for a long time, I, I use magic as a tool to get over my social awkwardness. And that then, it was never meant to be a career. It was never meant to be a career. But one of... When I had the, the joinery business, one of my clients, he used to run a cabaret night once a month. And the, the guys who used to work for me, they said, oh, so he was, he was called Rob. They said, oh, Rob, Anthony does some magic. You should get him to come up and do some stuff at your cabaret night. And at this point in time, I'd always been drunk whenever I did magic. It wasn't something that, it wasn't something that I did when I was sober. If I did, my hands would shake violently. I would get really drunk. I'd really nervous unless I'd have a few drinks. And it ended up being that somehow or another, I got coerced into going to this cabaret night and doing some magic. Now, that's not to say that that first one was easy. I was so nervous in the lead up to that first, I suppose, proper magic event that a week leading up to it, I was having night sweats. I was feeling sick, couldn't focus on anything except the fact that this I had to go and do this show was practicing all week trying to go oh, if, I don't think I, I don't I don't think I know the tricks so it was the, the the level of nerves were absolutely through the roof on the night of the actual event I rocked up at the venue probably about an hour and a half two hours early so I could check the room out get my pockets filled up with packs of cards and all the other crap that magicians have in their pockets I drank two bottles of wine before I even did the first trick because <laughs> I was because I, I, I was I was that nervous and that so that that first event then turned into me him saying well look you, you're pretty good can you come back and do next month so that turned into me 
starting this journey of building my confidence around around speaking or entertaining and the the drinking of alcohol stayed for quite a long time i would i would, just, I would have to drink alcohol a lot just to get up the courage to approach that first table but over time that kind of that kind of became something which i got comfortable with so something which i was really fearful of then once i understood it and i think this is one of the things with fear and stuff that we that makes us really nervous or anxious is most of the time it's because we don't understand it we don't know it and so by leaning in by getting to know it by making this unknown more familiar it becomes easier to deal with so fast forward the close-up magic was, was was a whole thing and when i moved out to australia i was still doing a bit of magic uh, at that point it started to get involved a little bit into mentalism and i've just even though i've found it awkward being around people i've always found people fascinating and if you're in the UK, obviously you're gonna know who Darren Brown is. I'd seen Darren Brown performing before he became TV famous. I'd seen him performing in a small theater in Barnstable. And I was fascinated by what he did. And so I got really interested in this area of mentalism. Uh, it was a branch of magic that I really liked this whole idea of using people as the props rather than like a pack of cards and that kind of thing. And the other area that I really liked was hypnosis. Now, when I moved out to Australia, I wanted to, there wasn't really anybody doing mentalism in Australia. So I saw it as a bit of a gap in the market. And I decided, do you know what? I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing any of the magic. I'm just going to focus on mentalism and see if, if I can turn that into something here in Australia. If I just point you there, how, how would you, uh, if people don't understand what mentalism, how would you describe what mentalism is? So the easiest way for me to describe it, and this is the way I explain it to everybody else, whereas, uh, whereas a magician uses sleight of hand, a mentalist makes it appear that, that they're using sleight of mind. So it, there, there, is, there, is an, there is the illusion of being able to read people's minds. So there, so there, is, this, there is a trick or a method to everything that a, that a mentalist does but it's, it's just in a slightly different world than, say, a close-up magician or a stage magician that's, that's sawing somebody in half or using big illusion props. A mentalist is more about the people and creating the illusion in people's minds. That's, that's probably the easiest way of me saying it without, <laughs> without, without going too deep down the rabbit hole. Then you've also got hypnosis. And obviously, everybody knows what hypnosis is. And I see mentalism as a middle ground in this in that sort of world so you've got you've got magicians you've got hypnotists a mentalist is someone that goes down the middle there so sometimes they might sort of dip into the magic side of things other times they might sort of dip into the hypnosis side of things but it, you're always i suppose playing an illusion inside someone's head rather than rather than this sort of big visual thing and, it, and that really appealed to me so without there being any mentalists in australia I just saw it as a really big opportunity and kind of dove into it. And it just, it really worked out in my favor of, of me being able to create a profile here in Australia. So and, becoming, becoming a mentalist, I don't want to go too del deep into this because I do yep. want to talk about Ombi stuff with you. It's just fascinating. That's all. So 
developing being a mentalist did you go away to secret mentalist school or did you just <laughs> like look at Darren Browns and David Blaine and, and sort of like see the subtle things that they were doing and read books about psychology and develop neural pathways that people can think so you can give power of suggestion to them to work it all out how does someone become a mentalist is it it's a really interesting world, the, the, the whole magic world, whether you're talking about mentalism or magic, or, because everything is a secret. Everything's a secret. Like, you don't want anyone to know the information. So in order to try and find out the information in the first place to get involved in it is really difficult. There is, in the UK, there's, there is more of a network than, than there, there, there is here in Australia. So it started out like most people would do, buying your 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 basic magic book, self-working card tricks or whatever from WH Smiths or, or whatever bookshop you'd go to or, 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 or real basic magic set from Hamley's or like the Marvin's magic stuff. So it, it starts out there. Those people that then get the, the bug, a bit like surfing. There, there is something that happens when you catch that first wave and something clicks inside you and you suddenly become hooked. The similar thing happens in magic not quite so often as as what it does in surfing but you discover something you go this is really interesting and then you start to go on this pathway of trying to find things out now when i was learning magic the internet wasn't really a really big fast thing there wasn't all the youtube clips I mean, you can go and find youtube clips now on magic you, you, you could learn magic really quickly on youtube so instead you're you're going to the library and you're, you're doing books then weirdly one day you'll meet somebody who is another magician and they'll know of the local society, which you then join. And then you're surrounded by more strange people that are into, that are into magic. And it is a very strange world. And then from that, you then fight, you then start to discover, discover other magicians. And that there's these, these, these meetups that happen where you get to share information and you get to learn new things. And then you realize that there's this whole underground world of people actually teaching magic. Most, most of it done, used to be so i think the first thing i ever got was a it was like a vhs cassette a vhs i'm showing my age here but a vhs cassette that i put in and it, i would be able to learn like 10 tricks off of this cassette from that you then find out about the magic circle in london and then you you might join the magic circle which is what i did so i ended up joining the magic circle and then that opened me up to to more magicians there's a huge convention that happens in Blackpool every single year. We're about like 4,000 magicians, I think, from around the world descend upon Blackpool. And it's the strangest experience because it's, it's, <laughs> I, 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 this is meant in the nice, I love the magic world, but about 90% of people in the magic world are very strange. To, to be into magic, you've, you, you've definitely got to think a little bit differently. And so you've, you've got 90% of these, these strange people that their that, that thinking blows my mind. It's, it's crazy thinking. But when it comes to being able to present to a room full of people, they're just really awkward. But then you've got this other 10% of magicians, mentalists, that are more of the showman. But the two things work really well together. So you've, you've got these really good creators that then, that then work with the performers to create these amazing shows. But when you're at this Blackpool convention, you're turning around and everywhere you look, there's either something disappearing or something reappearing or there's puffs of smoke coming out everywhere. It's just wherever you look, it's, it's just the most bizarre experience to be surrounded by 
by so much magic. But ultimately, it's something which is kind of self-taught. Like you were saying earlier on about you don't really know what you're doing being self-employed. In, in magic, you don't really know what you're doing. You're, you're just trying to figure out how to make something vanish or reappear or, or how to make something impossible seem possible. And you don't really know what you're doing most of the time, and you're, and you're figuring it out for yourself. So most of what I've done is, has, has been self-taught or taught through being around a group of people. As I said, I joined the Magic Circle. Didn't really do that for, for, the, for, the, for the learning side of things. It just seemed like the natural progression of, of being involved in the magic arts. Now, while I love magic, it never really fitted me as a, as a, as a performer, which is the reason why I went down the mentalism route. So I could make it about the people <laughs> rather, rather than, rather than watch how good this trick is and how fast this, this thing disappears and how I can make it reappear. That never, that never appealed to me. I couldn't sell it. And so, yeah, I saw Darren Brown do his show and just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's more my, my kind of thing. The power of persuasion is uh, is how I could probably a explain mm. it a little bit. Uh, I, I find it quite interesting, and I there's lots of questions I'd like to ask you, but it would be more of like, how'd you do it? <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like the magic circle. I ain't gonna tell you that. You need to figure it out for yourself, mate. That's pretty much it. I take it that you creating this magician persona getting on stage and meeting all these people is kind of like where you gained your confidence from, you know, standing up and, and doing your public speaking, because, you know, you, you come across as a, a really confident guy. You're very diligent. The way that you talk is very clear, which is probably how the way that you and Clayton make on be probably relates to people a lot better because there are quite a few programs out there that tell you how to do things but they don't break them down as much and the explanations that come behind them are very clear and almost simple stupid that you think I mean I've thought this myself because I'm, I'm week four now yeah I'm a big time nice week four and I'm and even like the walk up and walk down I was saying this to a couple of mates the other day I don't know why I'm pointing behind me uh, I was saying this to a couple of mates uh, a few days ago, I've been surfing for what, 27 years now? And the last month has basically been a, a cacophony of mind explosions going off. And I'm like, why I didn't do this before is absolutely nuts. And the video that you guys probably saw me at, at a reef break here, uh, I know Clayton talked about it on your yep. one of your videos the other day, which was cool. Thanks for that. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do those turns without figuring out that actually my foot placing just needed to be moved a little bit. And now I've opened my hips up and, and now I can actually move. But you guys breaking all that down and putting it in such a nice, clean, diligent way, whether it's your website or the app, I think you've created something really special, if I'm perfectly honest. And I don't mean to blow smoke up your ass, but, you know, that's what I think. Oh, thanks very much. And I know that, that the entire Umbri team would, would really appreciate that. I, uh, I think it's really important here, when I say the Umbri team, because a lot of people, anybody who's, who's listening now, who has decided to enter the Omniverse and, and start to consume some of the, it's, consume some of the content, which is, which is, there's so much content out there. The amount of people that we see that just go, I've started watching it and I've just realized there's so much stuff. And although you, most people will have seen myself and Clayton talking, the team behind it is, 
is, is a lot bigger than Clayton and myself. Clayton and myself, we're, we're just the presenters. We've got, we've got Luke in the background who has done amazing things, create, create, creating the app, putting all, putting all the stuff together, creating the emails, making sure that that tech side of things, that stuff behind the scenes so that you actually see us and, and can hear us and that you end up with the content. Luke's really, really, really good with that. Really nice guy as well. I've been speaking to him quite a bit. Yeah, he's 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 such a good guy. He's so he's actually over in the UK at the moment. He's he's living down in Cornwall. He's trying to get back to Australia, um, and we'll be we'll be very glad when he does because it is quite hard having him over the other side of the world when we've got so much that, that we're trying to do. We've also got Jeremy, who so 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 Jeremy and Clayton are, are the two that that initially set up what has now become. Ombi. And the same sort of thing happened again. Jeremy had had some coaching from Clayton. And I, I'm pretty sure that Luke had had some, Luke had had coaching from Clayton before. And then he introduced Jeremy to Clayton. And Jeremy turned around to, to Clayton and said, God, people need to hear this stuff. And so they formed this, this connection to try and get the information out there. And they, and they tried for a while and they couldn't quite break through. So we've got Jeremy who's, I would say that he's the co-founder of Ombi as well. So you've got Clayton and Jeremy that are the co-founders. That's the reason why we're we're now online doing everything that we do. And then we've got we've we've got Yanni who's who's our, our our new videographer. And we've also got Nico who's who's the one who puts a lot of the courses together. So we've we've got this really good little little team of people that have made Ombi what it is. And interestingly, though, you were saying about I've I, like I, I've been surfing for this long, but I've never really done this before. And yes, there are some other coaching programs out there. We we we, we were sat down yesterday, and we were actually discussing this as to what it is that makes Ombi different, what it is that makes Ombi unique, and and I suppose powerful. And I, I, I obviously I'm you could say I'm biased here, but Ombi is powerful, and it's come to. We've, we've kind of put it down to two things. One is that, yes, we have the coaching. So that training, that stuff that Clayton explained. So you can go through the program and it would be, be very similar to going through any other surfing program in that you get the information that you need in order to either do a better pop-up to or walk up, as we like to say, or to do a better turn. The other part of that, though, is the community aspect of it because it's all very well knowing all of this information but you never really know if you're actually putting it into practice. But by having a community of people that are all trying to support each other, that are all on the same path, they're all trying to work out the same techniques. It's you because th you think you might be doing what you're meant to be doing, but then you realise that you're not. And the only, re the only the only way that you can work out that you're not is from somebody from outside to say to you, "Do you know what? You thought you were doing a coffee cup, but you weren't actually doing a coffee cup. You were still side on to the to, to the wave." And so this, this community that we've created gives that aspect where we can get this feedback. And, and it's a whole bunch of really cool surfers, guys and girls, average surfers, all on this pathway together. And we've kind of created this own language of coffee cups and Oreo biscuits and wool cups rather than pop-ups. And this sense of community has created a sense of fun as well. And I think that's, that's what we're aiming for with, with Ombi is to not, it's to be more than surfing. It's to not just be about how to do a turn in the surf. It's about creating a whole community. And this is the reason why we're starting to use the term Ombiverse. 
we're, we're trying to create a, a global network of surfers so that you could go anywhere in the world and you'd be able to like meet up with other, with other Ombi surfers. We've seen people in the group now start saying, oh, I'm going to the wave pool in Bristol, or I'm going to the wave pool in Melbourne. Does anybody want to meet up and do it together? Then you've got this group of people that are all learning coffee cups and Oreo biscuits that are going out in the water together. And it's just this amazing sense of community. Okay, we, we, we might be making the lineup a little bit more crowded, but at least we're doing it in a fun way. From an outsider's perspective, looking in, I've spent the last 20 years as, a, as an instructor, whether it's teaching somebody to fire a weapon, mm. tactics, jiu-jitsu, surfing. I've been a surf coach for pretty much the same time as I've, I've been in the military. Wow. And, and I think from... When I became a physical training instructor, so a PTI, one of the key things that I picked up from somebody, I can't remember who said it now, but was try and do as many courses as you can with different instructors because you're even if they're super shit, you'll pick up at least one thing from them that's good or bad that you could change that you can add to your own repertoire. Mm. And I've learned a lot from that. You know, I've sat in surf lessons before and I've got, oh my God, what on earth is he teaching here? But I've also been <laughs> sat in some other surf lessons and I'm going, do you know what? I'm going to use that because that's really cool. Like whether it's using an analogy or an explanation of something that was really cool. And I started doing jujitsu down in Plymouth when I was based at 4-2 Commander down at Bickley Barracks. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I, I've done a podcast with this guy, Kenny Baker. He's he's my current um, jiu-jitsu coach at the moment, even though I've not been down there for a few months. But anyway, it's by the by. And I really struck a chord with him. The way that he spoke and broke technical aspects of a technique down hit home with me so much that my my ability and my level went through the roof. Now. You could argue it's just me getting better, but I don't put it down to that. I put it down to that I can understand what he's explaining more and I can put it into practice because cognitively my, I'm going to use the neuro pathways again, my, my brain pathways are connecting better so I can see that in my head when I'm doing it. Yeah. Now, relating this back to what, what you guys do, I think because you do it at such a grass level way and you don't use big words and you yourself are, you know, a mid to advanced surfer or, or um, mid to advanced intermediate surfer, Clayton's the pro and you use lots of different explanations of things, including using breakdowns of how you surf relates to people a lot more. And yeah. when people see that, and you're being honest with the way that you're surfing because I watch some of your videos and it makes me chuckle sometimes. And Clayton goes, oh, you didn't do this. And you're like that. Yeah, I was. <laughs> but you weren't. <laughs> it really makes me laugh because I'm the same. And I yeah. think that's where that relation and why people are really sort of like absorbed into this. And you've created your omniverse is because everybody's singing off the same song sheet there is nothing complicated that you're explaining whether it's the cardboard surfer or whether it's the bow shoe surfer and all those all those little things the the coffee cup i mean fuck me i mean i don't know why i just didn't have my arm up here all the time and i've been saying for oh man i'm honestly for i went to the maldives about 10 years ago and i did a um 
a GoPro camera of myself, you know, when you put it on the front of your board and I've yeah. got the Mark Richards flailing arm behind me. And I kept saying to myself, bring your arm forward. And I was like that. And every time I forgot, and now that you guys are saying that, we're like, oh my God, what have I been doing? And these little things are the things that are just like, you know, snapping off in my brain. And I'm like, this is awesome. Um, Again, I'm blowing smoke up your ass. Shall I say a negative thing? Uh, I don't know. I don't, no, you don't have to say anything negative. It's not compulsory. Yeah. <laughs> um, I th- but you know what? I think what, what, what you've said there is really interesting because the way that what I'm starting to discover is that there are so many relationships between the way that we surf and also the way that we live life. And surfing, as Clayton says, it's simple but we decide to overcomplicate things. We start to think about too much when if we just focused on one thing, it would actually move us fast forward faster than if we tried to do everything at once. And being somebody that that's interested in human behavior, being somebody that's interested in personal development, I'm really enjoying seeing how this all ties together and how this can play out into the omniverse and how we can be more than, as, I, as I've said it a few times now, but, but be more than just surfing. And I think that if you can help somebody, if you can give somebody some lessons through surfing, just help them surf that little bit better. Because let's, let's face it, a lot of us don't want to be pros. We just want to surf a bit better. I've always said this, going, going back to sort of the, the technique side of things, I'm one of these person people that have watched loads of videos of watching Mick Fanning and all the pros and they're blasting, you know, blasting massive sprays, getting the fins out the back of waves. You know, yeah, that's amazing. And I've talked about before on previous podcasts about the right board to get and volume and blah, 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 all that, all that kind of stuff. It all comes down to people's honesty as well, I think. And and I've used this a few times where I know myself that I am never going to be a surfer that is going to blast my fins out the back of a wave. I'm not going to be like that. I, I'd like to think maybe one day I maybe do one turn before I die that's like that. I'd be amazed. And I've got it on film. That'd be pretty cool, I think. you know, It'd be at my funeral. You could put it on a video screen or something like that. That'd be pretty sweet. Um <laughs> But if I can use things like what you guys have created where I can, you know, link my turns together and I can come out and be happy about that and go, you know, I've achieved something because using your little analogies of the coffee cup or the Oreo biscuit or the the step up or walk down or, you know, whatever it is, is got to be something pretty cool for having all these people that are in your omniverse that are going to relate to that as well. And, you know, I just think it's really cool. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I The one thing I would say there is if if anybody listening has it in their head that they do want to be a pro surfer, I I think there's anything, that anything is, is possible. But a lot of, if you want to do that, you've got to take it seriously. Like you've, you've got to find the right people around you. You've got to really, and you've, and you've got to commit to it. And I suppose that's the thing is what is it that you're actually committed to, not just in surfing, but also also in your life. The reason why I say that is when I said that I wanted to try and make a living out of doing magic, the amount of people that told me you, it's, you, you can't do that. It's just a hobby. It's something that you do for fun. Like you can that, that's, go and get a real job. That's what I had constantly. 
but I, I really, and this is one of the reasons why I ended up stopping surfing was because I really invested myself. Everything was my entire attention was focused towards, okay, I'm going to make a career as a magician. And I had fun in that process. I had tears as well, but there was, I had a lot of fun in, in that process, but I invested myself completely to it. So I suppose that's, that's the lesson there is what is it that you're actually committed to that you want? And if you really want something, you've really got to ask yourself, are you, are you actually committed to it? And that's one of the things that we can learn from, from surfing. Cause it's a really hard sport to master really hard, but it's really simple to do it. Apparently according to Clayton, it's really simple to do it, but it, for, for so many, it seems really hard to master. I, okay. You've got your, uh, your, 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 your protege few that might just pick it up really easily. But for most of us, it is a battle. It's a battle that sometimes we go in the water and we have the best surf ever. And then the next day you go back in the water and you think it's going to be amazing again. And it ends up being a real battle. And you go, oh, I did exactly the same thing as what I did the other day. Why was today's surf really bad in comparison to, to, that, to that last surf? And I think, as you say, being able to be real with yourself and decide what it is that you actually want and drop your ego as well. There's so much ego in surfing. And until you actually watch yourself on video, you go, oh, oh, I didn't realize I looked like that when I was surfing. It's, it's, it's a powerful thing to do is to be really real with yourself. Managing your expectations is, is a key thing in anything that you do, I think. Yeah. You, you know, you can't, you can't expect to... This is going to sound really bad, but I was I saw a girl years and years and years ago, and uh, it was down. I was down in in Cornwall somewhere, and uh, she pretty much I think started surfing maybe a week before that, and she's like, "I want to surf a shortboard." I was like, "That's no way you're surfing the shortboard!" Like she's yeah. like, "Yeah, I'm going to do. I'm going to do some of these massive turns," and I was like, "That." What crack pipe are you smoking, mate? There's no chance. <laughs> Obviously, that kind of like lasted about two minutes, and but she was a bit of a jippo and had about a hundred greyhounds that she kept in the caravan with her. Yeah, so it wasn't wasn't the best. But anyway, that's the story for oh, another day. I haven't heard anyone say jippo for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, new age travellers. I'm going to rephrase that. <laughs> uh, I. Yeah, managing expectations is is really important, and I, I think that's that's one thing that that I've really enjoyed over the last two years of being with Ombi is I'm really willing to just put myself out there and just go. This is exactly how I surf. This is exactly who I am, and just be. I suppose with the profile that I managed to get with the mentalism and the the opportunities that that's presented for me, it. It did put me for a while. My ego was a bit overinflated and it's, I, I remember being on a cruise ship one night and I realized I was, I was about to walk out and do a show and I was feeling really funny before the show. I don't know what it was that, that led up to this point, but it was a really transformational point for me in my, in my entertainment career. And I realized that I'd been so focused on, how they were going to respond to me and my show and the feedback that I'd get. Like, oh, I hope that they say really nice things about my show. And I know something weird happened just before I walked out on stage. And I realized that, do you know what? It's not about me. 
it never is about me. It's actually about the audience and creating an experience for the audience. Uh, as I say, I don't know what led up to that point. There was just some realization. And that night I went out on that stage and just focused entirely on being there for them. And it was like, it just took my show to this next level of, of me having fun, me having this connection with the audience. And I'm using the word me a lot there now when it's, as I say, it's, it's about the audience, but it completely changed, changed the game. Once I stopped thinking about me and made it about the audience. And I've tried to bring that into the way that I approach Ombi is I just allow myself to be thrown under the bus sometimes and just show the really bad parts of, of what it is. Cause I think people can, as you say, people can relate to it more. I, I could say, oh, don't put up any footage of me falling off because I don't want people to see how bad I am at surfing. But instead I want to be really real because I want people to know that wherever, wherever you are is where I'm actually meant to be. And to move, to accept that and go, okay, what is it that I need to do to just be a little bit better? Is that just one simple thing that I need to do? Is it just bringing in the coffee cup? Is it twist a little bit more? Whatever that is. And then it, and then, then that spans over into, into life as well. You, you, you start to treat life differently as well. And life's too short to be all stressed out and caught up in shit. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Are you taking a little bit of a back foot with the mentalism and the keynote speaking to focus on Ombi, or are you being able to transition between the different career paths that you've chosen to to dabble in all of them? I'm going to do both. I'm going to do both because I enjoy I enjoy what the the public speaking, entertaining, however you want to say. It. I enjoy what that allows me to do in terms of helping other people. So. It's a little bit self-indulgent, but it's self-indulgent in a way which benefits others and the community and the, and the universe at, at, at large. Because the, the show that I now do is normally geared at, so I do something that's fun, it's a performance piece, but there's a message behind it that is, again, simple tools to help people just get more out of their life. So I really enjoy doing it for for that reason i enjoy giving back to others and at the same time i really enjoy I, I get a huge amount of energy off of being on stage in front of people it's something that fills my cup as like catching a really nice wave and doing awesome turns fills my cup the same thing happens with speaking i just feel in a flow state when i'm on stage doing my thing but i will still then also invest my time into the into the ombi side of things this is one of the things, this is one of the, the really good sides of the pandemic is it's opened up this, this new avenue for me to be able to, to share in two different, two different worlds. So I've, I've got this, basically I've turned my, my offstage time into something else, which I can, which I can share and, and, and really enjoy and embrace as well as being on stage. So I, I, I don't ever work. This is the thing I don't, Although I do work, I don't work because it never feels like work because I just enjoy doing what I do. And I've always, ever, ever since that happened in business, I've always sort of been driven towards that. Do stuff that I enjoy doing. And it's just, it, it just becomes fun. Like, like, uh, like I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just something which, which has just come about organically. And every time that I think about it, 
I don't know how it happened, but it just naturally happened. And I think that comes from just being curious and letting things in, which we're kind of going back to what we were saying before. But just being open to open to trying new things and new opportunities. Don't don't think that because something, and also don't think that because something's really simple that it's not going to work. That's another thing that, that I've learned from being part of the Ombi thing is that everything that Clayton says is really simple. And a lot of people would discount it because of how simple it is. But those simple things have the biggest impact. The, the, the smallest change can have the biggest shift further down the road. And it's, I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that, that if we really look at things, there's so much that, that, that we can learn about ourselves in everything that we do. You ever thought about doing audio books? <laughs> Funny you should say that. I I do I do actually have an, an audio book. I've, I know that I don't know if, if you put that out as video, but I know that obviously you're watching me on Zoom. Behind me, I've got a book, the purple book. It's called Get Ready for Impact. So that that was a that, that was a book that, that that I wrote once. Never thought that I would write a book. I failed English. I well, I I say I failed English. I actually passed English, but I passed it by cheating, and. So I never thought I'd write a book. I've I've now written a book, and it has been turned into to an audio book. You can find it somewhere. I don't actually know where else you can find it, but, but there is an audio book out there somewhere. At all audio book stores, if that's a thing, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I know that it's not on um, Audible. Is Audible the big one? I know that I know that it's that it's not on there, but I think it's on some of the other ones. Uh, I, iBooks. I know that it's on the Apple version of whatever the audio well, what's your are. book called let's get that out there it's called get ready for impact practical tools to stand out win trust uh, and influence every day nice by anthony lay <laughs> well what i was actually getting on to is you've got quite a nice raspy you know clear british voice i'd listen to that i think Thank you. It's uh... it's better than my Brummy Midlander voice that's tied in with a bit of Devonshire now. Where I go, where's that to every now and again? And people, what are you saying that for? <laughs> See, I can't do that. I sound like a Jamaican Cornishman. The really weird thing is that I've been told now a few times that I've got a really good voice. I should do radio. I should do voiceovers. That kind of thing. And I have only just like started to like my voice probably in the last last seven years or so. I was from. A, uh, you know how you have certain experiences throughout life that will that will have an impact on you for a very long time. But when I was seven, it was a school Christmas play, and if you didn't have a part in the Christmas play, you had to be in the school choir. And this one particular year, I didn't have a part in the play, so it's part of the school choir. And this voice that you're listening to now, I have always had this voice. My my voice never broke. I've always sounded like this. I've always had a really low voice. And it was a Christmas activity play. I was singing away. And in front of the entire school, when we were doing rehearsals, the teacher stopped, drew all attention towards me and said, Anthony, you, your voice is so loud. All we can hear is you. So can you just pretend to sing? <laughs> and so that, that was another moment in time for me that was a very transitional moment, but transitional in a very negative way. And from that day forward, I hated the sound of my own voice. And weird thing is now is I actually use my voice to stand on stage and, and speak and obviously with, with Omni, I'm using it to, to present. So screw you, Miss Fisher. <laughs> my, voice, my voice actually worked for me in the end. Exactly. I mean, you tried 
starting a podcast out of nothing and listening to your own voice when you're editing your own stuff and you're like, oh my God, is that what I sound like? But yeah, you get used to it. You do. You do get used to it. I just say, fuck the haters, pretty much. Not bothered. Do you know what? And in today's world, that's something that we really need to embrace and take hold of because there is so much out there now on social media. It's really easy for people to to just start putting you down and you've you've got to ignore that so when i did when i did the tv stuff i was told ahead of time look you're probably going to get some comments come up on on social media that that could be quite negative and so i did 2012 was when i did my first tv thing so i wasn't really big on social media at that, uh, at that time i'm still not big on social media now i'm not the biggest fan of it but it was it was still sort of early days in with with social media being a big thing but i do remember that when i did my my nail gun routine on australia's got talent there was there was quite a lot of negative backlash about it they said it was i shouldn't have done that on tv it was it was um not not the right thing to do and i had to be really careful about what i consumed at that point in time and so i i i made the conscious decision to not read any comments. Obviously, I heard a few things that people would tell me. They say, oh, have, you, have you seen this? And I'm just like, well, is it is it helpful? Is it actually going to, is it, const- I'm all I'm all for negative feedback if it's constructive, if it's going to help us move forwards. And so I'd always ask the question, is it actually going to be helpful for me? And if it wasn't helpful, I would I would just completely ignore it because it, it doesn't matter. Most of the time, it's people that are jealous because you're actually out there doing it where they didn't have the balls to, to get up there and do it. Like you're about to start a business. There's so many people that would love to start a business. And you're probably going to get some naysayers that want to pull you down. But it's only because they're jealous, because they haven't got the balls to get out there and do it themselves. I won't have any of that because I haven't got any mates. So (laughs) (laughs) my my friends are my podcast listeners and the people that watch all the stupid stuff I do on Instagram, I guess. I don't know. Is that sad? I don't know. I said, well, no, it's, it's not. It's a good little community to have. I'm only joking. A good little, good. Well, I, I was going to say, you, I mean, you, sh- you, you, you would have a very, a very close knit group of friends coming from the services, uh, and I, I think that as well, you would probably vouch for that, that idea of being of surround yourself with the right people because there is no way, if you're in the services, there is no way that you can go through what you go through without that support network around you without that that team i've i've lo- i've learned over you know probably the last 15 years is that no not 15 years since i've been at school is that i'm comfortable with myself i could be on a desert island for the rest of my life and you know this is no negative um negative response or anything to like my family my wife or anybody like that but if I was, what's his name, um, Tom, uh, what's his name? Tom was, Hanks. Tom Hanks, who crashed onto a desert island, and that was me for the rest of my life. I think, I think I'd be happy. I wouldn't go crazy. I'm, I'm quite happy with the way that I think and, and my own company. I used to go travelling on my own, you know, early on when I was in the military and, and before I used to travel around the world, surfing in Bali and Indo and Thailand, Australia, all those, you know, all those stereotypical places that you know we want to go and yeah. go and surf I, I just go on my own and 
meet people and talk to people and i was just interested in people's stories probably another reason why i did this you know i'm interested in talking to people and uh, and listening to what they have to say even if i do waffle on like an idiot sometimes but and i and i haven't learned that in the military i think that's just like a, a personal thing and when i was at school i was never in the jock group i played a lot of rugby played a lot of sport did a lot of athletics but i was really interested in psychology and sleeping i wasn't really i wasn't really um into like the main core things like we had at school like english and french and maths it didn't really interest me like i it, it didn't it didn't do anything for me being active and being outside and making fires and climbing trees and jumping out of them and stuff like that you know that 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 was what interested me and and if i did it on my own because sometimes i did I, I was happy with that and i think people get lost with this that they have to be surrounded by people to almost get like a response off them like social media for instance you know we put a crazy picture onto instagram and you get like 10 million likes and it makes you feel good for about what two hours or something like that but it doesn't mean anything does it i actually watched a, a video with ed sheeran and uh, it actually you know I, I related to it quite a lot and he said that instagram and facebook were really designed as advertising tools but then they were just kind of converted into like this false social sort of like platform where people make out they're super, super happy about the things that they do. No, don't get me wrong. Some, some people might be, but the majority of people put things on there to make themselves feel better by getting, you know, responses off other people that are using the same platform. And yeah. It's just a real weird time that we're in with like mentality and, and what we take in, you know, day to day, whether it's the news, whether it's your phone, your computer, it's just there all the time. It's just flashing in front of your eyes and you just can't really get away with it. So yeah, get me on a desert island, I'll be happy. I think that's a pretty powerful place to be, is if you can be that comfortable with yourself, that you'll be able to spend your time on a desert island. I know that I, 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 I like to be surrounded by people, so I might struggle a little bit. I'd need... I'd, I'd need some people there because I would get bored of my own voice after a while. <laughs> yeah, just get someone to give you a little hug every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe lick your ears at night or something. But for, on a less extreme version of, of, of getting myself put on a desert island, I, I, I do completely agree with you. And that is that we have to become comfortable with ourselves. I think that they actually did a, a study on this. They did a test. It was a fairly recent test where they took people's phones away from them and they chose they, they chose a bunch of different age groups. Because a lot of people now, the second that they get a moment of stillness, a moment of where they don't have to do anything, they'll instantly reach for their phone, they'll grab their phone and they'll start staring at it. And so they took, they had, the study was, so they took one age group that had never, so they grew up without, the technology of the phone. They took another group that was sort of some, some my sort of age group where we grew up without it, but it was introduced later on in life. And then they took another group which have always had the technology. So they've that's all they've ever known is that you can instantly pick up a phone and, and be able to look at it and start to go through that, your social media or whatever, or start checking stuff. And in that study, those that had never grown up with the technology it's, it's just become something that's like obviously so like my nan or something 
So it, it, it might be there, but she's not bothered by it. She just uses it to make a phone call. They weren't affected at all by having their technology taken away from it. And it wasn't even for, for that long. I think it was like 48 hours or something. And the group that, that was like myself, where the, where the technology has been introduced later on in life, and you have started to use it as a bit of a tool, that those, those people found it difficult to be just inside their own heads. Those that have grown up with the technology, some of them had, had to be treated for anxiety afterwards because they found it that stressful not being able to, to occupy their mind with the technology. And I, so I think there's a great power. And whether you do that through meditation or some other kind of exercise, but being comfortable just being inside your own head. It's definitely something that people struggle with. Yeah. The word PTSD is thrown around quite a lot regardless of whether you've had any traumatic experiences or not, or whether it's, you know, you're struggling at school or uh, I don't know, you're cat's pulling you're at home or something. Yeah. You know, that, that word gets thrown about quite a lot. Um, yeah. But it is all, all how you deal mentally with those social interactions with people and how you perceive them. And then you cognitively generate your own personal thoughts about that as well. And I think, like you're saying, we were we were a generation where we were we grew up without a phone, any technology. I remember when my dad had the first PC and it had like uh, that frog hopper game where it went, it went meep, meep, meep. That was amazing. Got into yep. a bit of programming then. It was, yeah, it was a bit weird, but yeah. it was like when you used to have to wind it up like the old mechanical cars to get the get the computer going. It was it was a pretty <laughs> cool thing where we've gone from nothing to having something and then having that taken away, I, I guess that could be quite difficult. Yeah. But I think if you can deal with that, I, I think that shows sort of like your strength of character. And I'm not saying that people don't, that can't deal with those things, don't have a strength of character, but it's definitely a learned thing. And whether it takes a couple of hours to learn it or whether it's, two or three weeks, a few months, a year where, you know, you, you're kind of like weaning yourself off it because it's basically like a mental drug, isn't it? Where you've got this thing in, in front of you like, oh, I can't remember what that's, the name of that song is. Oh, where was it from? It was from, you know, remember the film Blade? All right, okay, and I'll Google that and then you can pull it yeah. back. If you don't have that and you've got to actually go, hmm, I've got to use my actual brain now and try and rethink what that actually was. Well, well I think a classic one there is telephone numbers. Like oh. I used to, I used to be able to remember lots of telephone numbers. Now I still do. I can, I can still remember the, the telephone number when I was back in the UK and that's after 13 years. But how many times now have someone said, ah, oh, what's, what's your telephone number? And the amount of people that, that you see that don't know either their partner's telephone number or sometimes even their own telephone number. And then they go, oh, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll ring you and then it will come up on the screen or whatever. It's become a really good tool for us. It's also, we need to remember that it is a tool and that it isn't, it isn't who we are. And we do need to spend time exercising our minds in being able to, to be at peace with ourselves, whether that's just five minutes of, of just being inside your own head each day or whether it's longer meditations, whatever that is for you. But I do think it's in something that's really important that we do continue to do. Um, I know that, if we bring this back to surfing again, I get inside my head so much when I'm out there surfing, especially when it gets bigger. And I got Clayton telling me to paddle for these waves. I'm just like, no way, I'm not paddling for that. It's way too big. This is going to end badly for me. But I get so much inside my own head 
And the one I, I've always said that if I could click my fingers and have one thing improve in my surfing, it would be the ability to to relax and just be comfortable and just be in the moment. Because I think that would open up so many more doors for me. Because I know that it has outside of surfing. The moment I've relaxed and just allowed me to be me and not be distracted by other stuff and just accept the moment that I'm in, amazing things have uh, have happened every single time. Well, it's almost like you could compare that to jiu-jitsu. So you only get better or get more comfortable by the more time you spend doing it. You yeah. know, if you surf small waves all the time, I'm not taking, going to use Kelly Slater or any of the other guys that used to, you know, surf two, three foot waves and then go and smash massive things. But yeah. if you surf that consistently, but then put yourself in a bigger situation, you're going to struggle mentally with that because you're not, you're not there to, to you, you haven't dealt with that situation before. But if you surf a variety of, of conditions, whether it's, you know, double overhead, six foot solid, whatever, yeah. whatever those swell conditions are, you know, it might be a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you're like, right, I'm boards under my arm, I'm going, I'm going to go out there. And you set yourself a couple of goals, I'm going to at least take off on one and just drop down the bottom and that's it. You know, like, yeah, that was the best wave or that was the biggest wave I've ever caught. But then the next time you're like, okay, well, I'm going to take off and try and do a bottom turn and, and, and actually try and actually go along it. And you set those little goals for yourself. That That's probably what would set you apart, improve your confidence, you know, little bite-sized steps. And what, what I've always said with confidence is that it consists of three things. One, it's active. So it's like a muscle. You got, so you've got to keep training it. It's also a skill. There are some things that you need to know in order to feel more confident about what you're going to do. So whether that's surfing bigger waves and having the skill of being able to pop up or walk up. If it's public speaking, that could be knowing how to structure a, a, a speech before you give it. So it's active, it's like a muscle. It's a skill, so there's some stuff that you need to know. But like you've said, it's also situational. There are going to be some situations where you feel dead confident, dead comfortable, and you've got no problem at all. And there are other places where all of a sudden you find yourself right out of your comfort zone, even though you're doing exactly the same thing. And a good way to explain this is I'm comfortable on stage. It, I think the biggest audience I've done live in a room is 7,000. I'm comfortable standing on stage in front of 7,000 people. But you put me in a room with a comedian and I'm in the audience and the comedian walks towards me and I can see that they're going to put a joke on me. I will clam up in my seat because I'm suddenly in a situation that is out of my control. And so it's about exploring those areas where I actually do feel uncomfortable. And as I said back, at, back earlier on in the podcast, it's about becoming familiar with it, get to know it, get to understand it and go, do you know what? This isn't quite so scary. You just do it in little bite-sized pieces, as, as you say. We could literally talk about this for hours, but I'm gonna. I know we could. Uh, I'm like that. I'm looking at my watch, going, oh, "Man, we got like at least another four hours with this." <laughs> I can use a really good example. Of what you were just talking about there. So, I'm renowned for probably looking like I don't do a lot work-wise. Um, probably more so over the last like ten years. But what I'm really good at is is my time management and 
I'm pretty good on the computer, you know, writing documents and admin instructions and stuff. So my job in, involves like organizing major events and, you know, standing up in front of people and introducing and making an event, whether it's a games night or something like that. So a little bit like yourself, but, you know, not on the massive scale of like 7,000 people. I think I've done like a couple of thousand people before. But what's so I, I almost subconsciously set myself little tests. So sometimes I don't prepare anything and I almost kind of go, I'll just wing it. Like the old saying that you were just saying there, there's no cuff too tough. And I, I'm just kind of going to try and wing it as I go along. And that's actually really fun for me. Whereas like if something's yep. scripted, it kind of almost becomes a little bit robotic. And I've done yep. that like probably the majority of the time I've ever done anything, I've ever organized anything, which is probably why I'm, you know, what we're going back talking about earlier was I'm quite comfortable with myself where I could be in any situation, talk to anybody, whether they are, I don't know, um, I use the stereotype of a, a, as, a, as a Tesco worker, you know, a shelf stacker, or it could mm. be a CEO of a conglomerate company to me, these are all just people. I, I will speak to people exactly the same, regardless of, of who they are. And it's the same within the Marines. I'll talk to a Marine the same as I speak to a Lieutenant Colonel or a Brigadier or somebody like that, because they're all people at the end of the day. And, and the confidence from that has just come from me setting myself these little goals when I've been organizing things that have kind of created this mental landscape in my head and I use the little analogy of like a, a tick list. So every time I do something, if something's harder, I've gone, oh, I've done that before. So there's a tick list there. And then the next thing comes along and yeah, I've done that before. So it's not going to be as bad as that. And that tick list goes off. And that's generally how, I, how, how I've kind of um, <laughs> mentalized things for myself, which um, I don't know whether it's unique or it's just the way that I perceive things. And I think you know, hopefully other mm. people out there do do a similar thing. I think that's, that's really interesting. And as you say, like, this conversation could go on for ages. But uh, at some point in time, we have to, uh, we have to draw, draw a close to this. But look, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm happy to jump back on again and, and talk about this kind of thing, because this, this stuff really fascinates me, whether we talk about it in relation to surfing, or life in general. To me, it's all the same thing. It's, it all amalgamates into one thing. Your idea there of not preparing, say, before a presentation or, or just winging it, so to speak, you're self-inducing stress. And I do a, very, I do a lot of very similar things in, in that respect. So I, I can really sort of see the synchronicity and, uh, and, I, and I really relate to it. In order to become better to deal with situations. We have to become okay with stress and we can train ourselves to become okay with stress by, by putting ourselves in those situations ourselves. We've got a sense of control over it. So when stuff does happen, we're, we're okay with it. So a big thing for me, which I've been doing now for, for the last good few years is cold water therapy, where I will... So cold showers or go, in, go into an ice bath. And I do it on purpose because everything in my body tells me don't do it. 
but I override that pattern and go, do you know what? No, 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 I'm actually doing this. I'm taking control and I'm going to put myself into the cold. And that's been a really, obviously there's a lot of health benefits from it as well. But for me, it was more of a mental game. It was, it was about me taking control and going, okay, I'm about to put myself in a situation I don't want to be in, but I'm going to do it anyway. And the same thing with going up on stage. It, the, the feeling that I would get in my stomach before going up on stage was everything was telling me to go in the opposite direction. But I would lean into it and I'd take one step forwards and start to explore and become curious about what it is. Same thing with surfing as well. These bigger waves that Clayton's trying to get me to surf, I'm leaning into it. I'm just each time just trying to push it that little bit more, but doing it in a controlled way so that I become accustomed to, to feeling, I suppose, feeling control in the uncontrolled is, what, is, is the way that, that, that I would say it. And we could go into loads of, like, as I say, there's a lot of neuroscience around the whole idea of self-induced stress and the benefits that, 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 that there are, but we're going to end up talking for, an, for, for another, another hour or two hours easily. Let me, let me just share one more thing. Let me share one more thing. There is one rule that I kind of live by, and we kind of alluded to it throughout the entire podcast. And that is, it's a little rule that, that I live by. And it comes down to the way that I interact with other people. And that is that there isn't a single person that you meet each and every single day that woke up and said, I hope I have a really crap day. Every single person that you meet wants to have a good day. And so, and I think Ombi is doing this in the way that it approaches surfing. And that is that every single person that I meet, every single time I have an interaction, whether it's with you on a podcast, whether it's just somebody in the street, whether it's just paying for something at a supermarket, if I can just create a moment for that person that gives them a bit of joy or puts a smile on their face, then I'm doing the right thing. Go about, go about spreading goodness rather than spreading bad. And this kind of relates back to the whole social media side of things where it's, it's so easy to, to be negative and consume negative content. But what if we just focused on, on bringing good? What if, we fo what if we focused on bringing joy? What if we focused on, do you know what, just dropping your ego and just being out there to, mo to make the world a better place? It's, it's a little bit sort of, it might sound a bit preachy, but it's just something that I live by. And that every single person that I meet, I just, I want to have that as a good interaction between me and that other person. Well, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. Yes. <laughs> okay so closing questions uh i do this for people that i do the surf podcast with so first question is if you had one fin surfboard set up for the rest of your life would it be single fin twin fin thruster quad finless bonza or two plus one you're asking me a really oh you're asking me a, a really strange time because i've started riding a lot of finless at the moment and i am absolutely frothing off of riding finless but i would say twin I would say twin fin. Uh, every time I jump on a twin fin, I always have a lot of fun. The first surf film you ever watched? First one that I can... So surf, first surf film. I think the first one that I can remember is Sick Joy. It's a bit of on Sick Joy. Uh, but if we're talking about film, one that really sticks in my mind all the time is Big Wednesday. 
because there's that line in it where he goes, where he knocks on the door and he goes, I just want you to know, I know I did a lot of bad stuff in your house, but I never, ever pissed in your steam iron. <laughs> that one line always sticks out for me. Well, I've got a comparison with that. Someone actually pissed in my um, in my uh, windscreen wiper bottle when I had a van and it just no. smelt a urine all the time and I didn't even realise it and yeah. You know, how, you know how, how earlier on we were saying about you got to be careful who you surround yourself with? Yeah. Well, he's <laughs> he's actually a really high New Zealand uh, officer now. A New Zealand oh, wow. Navy officer. Yeah. He, anyway, we're digressing again. Um, the last surfing film you watched or edit or it's the gram clip. I don't know. The last thing you watched. Oh, uh, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask there because we watched so much in preparation for creation of Ombi. The last thing that, that, that we watched and, and I really, really enjoyed it would probably be the Ripkell's Free Scrubber. Really enjoyed that. So I'm going to, that definitely wasn't the last surf thing that I watched, but it's, it's the last one that I watched and I really enjoyed. Or, oh, there's too many. Torrin, anything with Torrin Martin. Just Did, did you watch the... Did you watch the other Free Scrubber uh, movie with Tom Curran, um, Griffin, no, is it Griffin Colapinto? Yeah, and yeah. Mason Ho. I think it was called like The Band or something like that. Did you, did oh, you no, see that one? I haven't one? seen that one. No, oh, okay. no, you've given me something I've got to go and watch now. <laughs> it's all back on YouTube. That came out a few weeks after Free Scrubber did. It's amazing. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I have to go and watch it now. If you could surf one surf break for the rest of your life, where would it be? Is it going to be crowded? I'm going to say no, because then it probably wouldn't be your favorite spot that you want to surf for the rest of your life, then would it? If I can get a wave to myself without someone dropping in, I really like surfing uh, Greenmount. So snapper down through Greenmount. I really like surfing there. The wave goes on for ages. You've got time to think on the wave and... If you connect it all the way through, you've got this nice little barrelly section right at the very end. So if it wasn't, if it, if I could have it where it wasn't busy, I would say there. But it's always, it's always too busy. You always get dropped in on. The best and the worst person to share a lineup with? Clayton. <laughs> like it. It's, it's, he, Clayton and I get on really, really, really well. But he's always pushing me. I'm always pushing him. And you... I've, it's got to the point now where I've, where, I've, where I've had to say, we're just surfing today. Like no coaching, we're just surfing. Because he naturally wants to help everybody out in the water. He's, he's, he's such a giver to the surf community. But sometimes he just needs to just switch that off and just be. Anthony Lay, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you, mate. And I appreciate your time and thanks for all the stories. Oh, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. I, as yeah, as you said, we could have gone on for could have gone for ages, but at some point in time, I need to go and catch some of these waves that are, that are rolling in out there. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much, buddy. And that's it. Remember to leave me a rating on Apple Podcasts and any feedback you want to give through emails, DMs for the podcast would be much appreciated. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next year.